KCCSU Stanford 90.1 FM. I am Mark Mono. This is the Henry George Program, the show all about housing, politics, and organizing. Today in the program, we have on Rohan Ghosh. Rohan Ghosh is a young activist out of the Palo Alto area. We're on here to talk about many things, talking Palo Alto youth activism, talking about the structure of nonprofits throughout the peninsula and beyond. Talking about local responses to arena allocations and so, so, so much more. Uh, without further ado, uh, let's uh, let's get into it. So welcome, uh, Rohan. Thank you so much uh, for being on here. Thank you for having me, Mark. It's, it's great to be on the show. Yeah, so you're on for the very special purpose of, of perpetual Palo Alto updates. Uh, one of the, the main... Oh, the, God. <laughs> the main sweet spots of the show is talking about Palo Alto. Uh, but on top of it, I mean, you have a... Uh, I, interesting perspective. I mean, I, I saw you around uh, through different organizations, uh, some kind of IDSA, different, you know, of the pro-housing organizations. And I didn't know for months and months you were in high school at the time. So that kind of blew my mind. Uh, so it's it's still pretty novel. But just talk. I mean, I wasn't doing any politics, any kind of things until I was uh, ancient. So that's just, that's just weird to me. But talk about... Uh, I guess what your origin story is, per se, uh, as far as being active in the scene uh, at your age. Yeah, sure. So I guess to start off, I'm 18 now. Uh, this is the summer after my I, I've graduated high school. I'm about to go to college in D.C. But kind of in terms of like my, my history of my involvement, I think housing activism for me is relatively new, probably the last two years or so. Longer than that, though, kind of generally since maybe I was 13 or so, I've kind of been interested in progressive politics in general. Uh, <laughs> That's an early age. To, I mean, That I was, is quite early, I know. I was yeah. still watching cartoons at that age. <laughs> yeah, no, I've always been, been kind of weird like that. But yeah, when I was 12 and 13, it was really like kind of the first time I kind of felt inspired by the you know, 2016 edition of the Bernie campaign. Sure. And then kind of between that, it was a lot of like local Democratic Party stuff that I got involved in. Yeah. Uh, and actually, back Do, do in... they have like a junior high wing that got you sucked into the local Dem politics stuff? Or uh, just like a they did weird... not have a middle school wing, no. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was early days, like my freshman year of high school, there was a Democrats club at my school that a lot of people there kind of uh, got me into a lot of this stuff. And then kind of as a, in the summer between my junior and sophomore year, uh, so that's summer of 2019, I joined the state board of the California High School Democrats. Uh, okay. As well as actually founding this organization on the local level uh, called the High School Democrats of Santa Clara County. Uh, kind of as a subsidiary of some of the young Dems groups, but specifically to provide this kind of mouthpiece for really young, young Dems in the county Democratic Party level. Yeah. That summer, I was also interning at uh, Mark Berman's office, which we can put a pin in later because I think there's an important piece of my housing story in there. Yeah. They're kind of out of this local... Dem party activism and interest in progressive politics, I really started to notice kind of that the number one issue when we talk about kind of any of these broader, you know, social justice issues here always came back to housing, whether it was environmental stuff, you know, land use stuff was like 
you know, the, back then we were interested in protecting Coyote Valley from development, right? It's vital ecological corridor. But it's like in order to, you know, sustainably house our growing population, if we're not going to build there, which we shouldn't do, we have to build inside. So I guess, uh, did you kind of come through the theoretical terms or kind of in your bones? Because I guess the kind of my one of my questions is, if you are like a teen in Palo Alto, things are weird all around you. I think things are just objectively weird. Yeah, certainly compared for sure. to the rest of the, but like, does it feel that way when you're inside, you know, inside of it? Because you're not paying you know, for housing, you know, your parents do, you know, and like, I just don't know if like, you know, the, the grind all around you just starts to feel normal. Uh, and like, <laughs> I don't know, like, you know, how it, much... it does actually feel kind of normal. But then the moment you start to open your eyes, there's no going back, right? Oh, In a sure. sense of kind of what I really found is kind of nearby, you know, in Palo Alto, in Mountain View, the kind of crux of progressive politics at that time, uh, a big effort was beating back measure D in, in Mountain View. And I think that was the first time I really stepped in on a housing issue, like personally. And then um, explain to the listeners. Yeah. So measure D was second or third, I think it was the second or third attempt of the landlords to try to peel back at, uh, at Mountain View's rent control that they passed in 2016. And this was a ballot measure put on the 2020 primary ballot by the city council. It was, a, it was such a weird, I mean, I think we talked about it on the show a couple times, but like the landlords are going for it. The city council was trying to repeal it in their own way. They had dueling, like they had this petition that was, you know, put out and delayed multiple times. But yeah, the yeah, whole, the of whole a huge, thing was like, a huge Don't me- sign this campaign by the local Yeah, activists. that was a wild thing. So it's very hard to have an organized don't sign a pan- t- petition campaign. <laughs> that was one lesson. Yeah, but, you know, it worked. And then... It, yeah, for, for a while at least, until it finally went back on the, on the ballot. Yeah, and when it back on the ballot, I think partly due to the groundwork of the previous organizing, but then also just a lot of the heavy legwork uh, by just so many community volunteers, uh, Measure D got killed. Yeah. And I think I was a little bit involved in that, not super involved. I actually kind of... It's one of my fig- first like big moments at the Democratic Party, because they had a endorsement vote on it that was i spoke up very personally on that talking about how i knew people who had been forced to leave the region which i think is a common thing for everyone here Um, yeah people almost think about it it was my age that it's kind of normal that you just a lot of people we know have had to move away uh just because of the primitive cost of housing and then when you kind of think about long term like what are you going to do with your life then it really starts to set in that oh, wait, this housing crisis thing is, you know, even if you're raised in a relatively affluent family, like, it, it's real. Like, you know, you're going to have to live in your parents' house or move out of the region. Yeah, I don't know. Like, because I feel just growing up, I can't imagine in high school the idea, like, you have two routes. One is, like, you're going to be making not just, like, six figures, but, like, multiples of six figures to be able yeah. to afford to live in the area or, you know, you can find a place in Fresno. I don't know. Like, it's just like, that's like, I mean, there's like, sure, it's like, yeah, Sacramento still pretty affordable or you can find, you know, but like, it's the idea of like, just knowing there is not like room for you in your own town. That's just like, that's got to really, I mean, just be stressful. 
And I think it's a lot of times that stress kind of manifests itself in different ways. Like people don't directly think about it like that, but like it's no accident that Palo Alto is this considered like one of the most, you know, academically stressful environments for high school students, for example. Yeah. I mean, famously has uh, struggled with suicide among students. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think that, you know, these economic pressures build up as part of that. Uh, they they contribute to that because, you know, even if the kids aren't thinking about it, you know, your parents are thinking about, you know, we got to get you into like a quote unquote good college so that, you know, you can afford to live here and that kind of thing. And that breeds that kind of pressure and competition. Yeah, scarcity mindset is, is just, it's, it kills <laughs> just like any sort of ability to just live like a person. It's, it's really, oh, it's, it's so pervasive here. And it, and it create, and it also like, you know, in terms of kind of the just open casual, like racism that that's just endemic around here, it, it feeds into that in a really major way. And I think, in terms of this, the effects of this kind of scarcity mindset or nimbyism plus in the sense of like nimbyism in terms of housing, but then you add it to literally everything else, like this sort of, I got mine, I will defend it from, you know, the rabble trying to take it type of yeah, attitude. Yeah. That really pervasively, I think, influences, it, that's the root of, I think, right-wing politics in general, but especially here. And even the you know disguised right wing politics of yeah the, of this the amount of actual uh, GOP uh, power in this area is 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 insignificant, but the amount of what I would say are you know, right wing politics it's it's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, and that's what it is. It is right wing politics. Like it is nothing less than that. Uh, and I think the other big issue that for me was the eye opener was. Uh, when Mountain View was talking about the RV ban, uh, that was, I think, really early there when when I came into that a little bit, when we were in that kind of transition phase where uh, Housing Justice Coalition and various other activists had pushed uh, to get signatures so that the ordinance would have to go to the ballot. Yeah, I think we, we, we were talking yeah. about that, you know, back in 2019, uh, as I remember, everything before COVID feels a million years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that I think November 2019 was the big push for uh, putting that on the ballot, which, yeah. you know, which, which effectively in the end meant that people uh, were not thrown out at the worst time right before COVID hit. So it actually was pretty good time yeah, for yeah. getting a little bit of reprieve. And that's still an ongoing fight, which we can, we can talk about later on, but yeah. I came into that kind of at that specific city council meeting. That was like the hinge point between uh, when it, it went on to the November, 2020 ballot. So that was kind of my, my intro to housing stuff in Mountain View uh, that which went on during the No on D campaign. Yeah, finding maximum provincialism. I mean, I, I think a lot of people would start only in their city, but it sounds like yeah, Mountain View politics was was activating you more than uh. Yeah, early on at least, because I yeah. think also in many ways, like, I think for me at least, it was initially hard to get like excited about about like pro housing politics. I mean, of course, I was reading about like SB fifty and stuff at that time and I was like yes this is exciting but it was that entry point for me at least was harder to find and that's something that I'm I've been trying to change at least by you know whether it's just posting to various 
groups of my peers or various civically minded students about making housing like an issue that's talked about. Yeah, I mean, the the reason it's so, I think, dismal is over the course of decades, it's not so exciting to kind of stop the slow bleed. But, yeah. You know, but then like you suddenly you're anemic and everything is a disaster and like you realize, you know, it really is the long, slow structural stuff, which is killing us all. And I mean, it's absolutely you know reasonable. People get excited over very immediate campaigns with real payoffs, and it's yeah. not fun to go to like Paul Alto and say like, "Hey, this is you know, uh, <laughs> let's have let's, something." Some... Let's go rah 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 for some you know measly four story building that's like fifteen percent BMR units at hundred percent of AMI or something like, you know, yeah, that's in this very flawed system, which we have to fight to change what we got and what we're fighting for. I'm kind of happy to see the page mill and El Camino apartments up now are being built, but like, it's not like, it's like I still like can't afford to live in them, you know, but it's still... like, yeah, I mean, okay, I guess like, yay. I'll, I'll, I'll love them more when they're like two decades old and more affordable, but you know, I'll have to wait a while. Yeah, like, it's it's really hard to, I think, get people excited about that. And I think also, like, you know, hard to explain from a kind of, you know, and Gen Z being such a left-wing generation. And, you know, my peers all, like, you know, most of them aren't as far left-wing as me. But, you know, a lot of them are, you know, very much people who see themselves on the left as anti-capitalist. And I think it is very... It, it is challenging to explain why, you know, from a perspective of of structural inequities and addressing that, why farting for little developments like that is useful. But it is, and we have to, you know, be able to frame it, uh, frame it like that and also be better at the framing of, yes, it's like their situation is so bad that we have to fight for this now, but there's also something more that's worth fighting for. And the immediate effect things that we're also fighting for that we need to fight much, much harder on, I think, which is the renter protection stuff. And then even more immediate than that kind of immediate defense of, of unhoused community members, whether that's people living in RVs, people, or camping and vulnerable to sweeps and things like that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's multiple fronts at every time. Preservation of the most vulnerable at the moment, trying to kind of carve out some sort of ameliorative and long term trends, but then also you're yeah, finding out what the what the what the big campaigns are. And uh, I mean, it's I mean the way I mean I don't think people who are you know uh, you know on on the left really should be excited over just. Uh, you know, uh, you know, private development of apartments. It's better than the alternative. It's better than yeah. not, not having them. And I, I always say, when you replace, you know, one single family home with renters, that's going to be a better votership, a better populace, a better base to build out of to make, uh, you know, actions in the future. Uh, I mean, I think the 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 right wing influence of home ownership is a pretty devastating trend that we just take for granted Uh, yeah although i think it's interesting we bring it up in that sense because at least working for the past summer in in hlc one of the things we've talked about the most uh 
with our kind of partners in places like East Palo Alto is about access to homeownership, especially for like, uh, especially in those communities where, you know, historically it's through financial systems, it has been denied. And I think we're, we're in a bad situation where we're in a world where homeownership, like property ownership is the means of wealth accumulation that I think that's completely bullshit, but yeah. it's, it's also to be noted that while we are still in this system of property ownership as this means of accumulating wealth, there is, I think like reducing barriers to that means from people whom it has been historically denied is I think still something important to fight for, which like, I think that's, that's why it also puzzles me so much how like a lot of groups that are advocating for like increased opportunities for homeownership are like, so against, you know, middle density options and things. It is. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of ideological kind of confusion on these. Oh, I, mean, yeah, I think, totally. it, I mean, the, the goal is obviously good, which is, uh, you know, between racial, uh, you know, categories, between uh, class categories, between different households, we need to close the wealth gap. But like, I, I think when you say, oh, we just need to catch up, it's just very much, you know, oh, we just need a sneech star in our belly and then we'll be just, you know, it's like the fact that, like, you can't catch up within the system as it's built and, like, I don't yeah. know. No, it's designed to, like, it's by design. Yeah. Like, making these, these inequities so pervasive that they just can't be reconciled. Yeah, but it's a, maybe it's just, I think people are evolving. These groups are getting better all the time. But, uh, so, I mean, just by and large, uh, I mean, I know you, like, I mean, I, I'm kind of just stunned to see how many hats you wear, what you've been involved with. If I didn't know you better to know that you are, uh, you know, a dedicated weirdo in your own way, I would say that, like, like it's like the a resume of, like, a weird striver type. But, like, yeah, just just talk about what you've been involved with and, uh, you know, what, what, what kind of got you to, to get involved with all these things so early. Yeah, so I guess I, I, we can go now reverse chronologically. So right now, my my kind of two main things are... So I, I'm currently working as a kind of part-time, very part-time organizer with the Palo Alto Renters Association. There's a new group, and we're definitely going to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, of course, everything is getting a pause put in it in about a week because I am, I'm moving and going to college. The other thing kind of for the whole summer that just ended last week is I was uh, interning at the Housing Leadership Council of San Mateo County, which I think is a really cool organization. Uh, it's an affiliate of Nonprofit Housing NorCal, which kind of represents the interests of nonprofit developers and residents of affordable housing, by which we mean subsidized affordable housing. I think it's, it's interesting because the work I was doing at Housing Leadership Council was especially around trying to increase their capacity and presence on anti-displacement and tenant protection issues. HLC really tries to tread that line between being helpful and supportive to these base building, like on the ground, directly tenant organizing groups, and then also being very active on the you know, pro housing production side. And I think when we bring these things together, good things happen. Uh, yeah, as we're, we're talking a little bit off mic before we started. I mean, HLC is one of the kind of they're one of the like the bigger nonprofit kind of hubs in the in the peninsula, and a lot yeah. of a lot of money from like if people want to do good on housing a lot of money and ups there so they're like they're they i mean they do pretty well for themselves as far as fundraising goes and 
I am, as I've you know mentioned many times in the past, pretty skeptical over the incentives. You know, when when a group is funded by do-gooders in you know in you know the tech companies or whatnot throwing their their charity towards yeah, it. Yeah, like I think that that's a very flawed system. I mean, of course, that fundraising system is flawed. Sure, but uh, it's, it's it's interesting to hear from you about like kind of what goes on day to day because clearly in the end, there's people in there want to do good. I think the incentives are kind of iffy but clearly a lot of good work is is going on there so uh i mean yeah just i mean uh, do you want to talk about more about that just right now kind of just yeah sure so at least kind of in my my time at hlc like the work and it varies of course from organization to organization there's like the nph family of affiliates which are all very different from each other there's hlc in san mateo county silicon valley at home in Santa Clara County, which is generally considered, I think, like the Yimbiest of these groups. Sure. Uh, there is EBHO in the East Bay, East Bay Housing Organizations. And then in San Francisco, there is CCHO or Choo Choo, which Choo-choo. is a that's, that that's is so they're cr- a fun bunch. <laughs> I mean, that is such a funny thing of like SB at home and Choo Choo are ostensibly yeah, considered in, in, a, in, a in the network. same. They're they're affiliates of the same larger regional organization, which is a deeply bizarre thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and for those of you who don't know, Choo Choo uh, is very affiliated with like the San Francisco left mindset on housing which is that (laughs) with scare quotes left yeah with quotes yeah which is unless it is subsidized affordable housing and even sometimes then it is new housing development is bad 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 yeah i mean not only i mean it is uh, i don't know how many times but calvin welch is one of the er villains of the of the bay area uh housing picture the uh hate ashbury uh, guru, uh, great ponytailed guru. Oh, yeah, those guys uh, are, are those guys are wild. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know Calvin Welch and Peter Cohen are the choo choo gang, <laughs> and like it's they have designed the system that doesn't work, and like it's about stopping production of housing, but then on top of it, it's just like trying to get value capture in the worst dumbest way. Oh, uh, it yeah. just it's just it's just a, it's a broken system that I think has demonstrably failed over the last. 50 years <laughs> like so okay yeah so i think of this kind of use and there's also oh we, we have to remember generation housing as well they're our new little baby friend in in the north in, in the north oh, in? north bay in the north bay Including i think like... mostly sonoma based oh so, okay sure uh, uh and they're also cool so these are all affiliates of the nonprofit housing association of northern california they actually don't always work that much with each other uh some of them more with others like HLC and EBHO are together in a lot of coalitions, for example. Hmm. Uh, and actually, I think HLC and EBHO are probably like the two most, in terms of if you have like the San Francisco lefty versus market Yimby spectrum, the two like most middle in that are like HLC uh, and EBHO. And I don't think I've been clear yet. HLC, where I worked, is uh, Housing Leadership Council of San Mateo County. Sure, very very big of you to to move up north all the way up to San Francisco yeah, County. Yeah, it's funny because like my my work stuff is north, my volunteer stuff was south this time. Sure, and sure. Maybe in future I'll flip that. So 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 you're saying like HLC it like helps Clespa and other San Mateo County tenant places indirectly? Is that true? Yeah. So the main I think tenant organization, tenants' rights organization in San Mateo County that really does the legwork of uh, 
kind of advocacy stuff on tenants' rights, and then also the really uh, direct base building and organizing is Faith in Action Bay Area. Okay. So there's a group called the San Mateo County Anti-Displacement Coalition. Uh, a number of groups are part of that. That's Faith in Action, and then Pacifica Housing for All, Housing for All, Brilliant Game, One San Mateo. Those are groups that came out of the 2016 rent control campaigns that ran in those cities, and I think 2018 as well in Pacifica, that were kind of this 2016 Bay Area blitz of rent control campaigns that in San Mateo County didn't uh, work really. It came, it came pretty. I'm trying to remember, yeah, hearing from Jordan and others about this. It was. It a was about a 40-60 split in San Mateo and in Burlingame, a little bit worse than that. Yeah, you got to got to put the fight up. <laughs> not, yeah, not just, and I some think are, it, some are close to others. And you know that succeeded in Mountain View and Richmond, but I think what came out of that though is you know, you had a little bit more organized presence of these are the tenant protections people in these cities. Uh, there's a little bit more history on that, which you might want to have Nani Friedman on the show sometime to talk about. Uh, okay. Faith in Action. She's great, but uh, I'm not too familiar with that because it was before my time. But yeah, the San Mateo Anti-Displacement Coalition was Faith in Action Bay Area. Urban Habitat kind of convenes the whole thing, specifically... Uh, Tony Samara, and he is now, I think, going on to other things, but a great guy. Uh, yeah, I actually I just realized offhand, I was talking to Nani Friedman back when she was part of the Stanford Scope group. So she's like, I think uh, so. Yeah, yeah. I remember like way back in the early days of the show. Also, so small, small world. How about that? It is a very tiny world in this housing community, right? Like we all know each other somehow. That's funny. But yeah, there's these city-based groups. There's Nuestra Casa and Yuca from East Palo Alto, uh, and Clespa is also Clespa and Legal Aid Society of San Mateo County are also in this kind of group, and HLC is another one of the organizations that participates in this San Mateo County Anti-Displacement Coalition. Uh, and doing tenant work in San Mateo County is really hard. Uh, I mean, like, I think just the way you've laid out the different topology of all the different orgs. If you are just a tenant who isn't t tapped into the system and you need help people don't always kind of know you might you know hear a few psas for different orgs that are helpful but like yeah a lot, a lot of times there isn't like a one-stop shop it's like hey here's where you get the help that you deserve right now there really isn't in in san mateo county i think especially in daily city and redwood city uh faith in action bay area has really been the kind of support system uh for organizing tenants dealing with harassment issues and connecting tenants to, uh, you know, Bay Area Legal Aid, Legal Aid Society of San Mateo County, CLESPA, yeah. which is Community Legal Services of East Palo Alto, although they operate on a whole regional basis, not just in East Palo Alto. Uh, you go to the are, South Bay, you have like Project Sentinel is a good org. and Project other... Sentinel's, they're, but they're not exactly tenants' rights lawyers. They Sure, I but the thing yeah. is like they're more of like, they're more the front door that, that routes people to other places. I'm trying yes. to like, yeah. And I guess in the end, like you realize it's all like you need this entire infrastructure to help people find places. And then in the end, like you realize the entire thing is just under like there's like there's just a lack of, of resources, you know. Yeah, in the end. it's just understaffed, underfunded, you know, bare bones. Really, the kind of statewide structure that we have is tenants together uh, in their hotline. 
yeah. which I've, I've done some volunteering on the Tens Together hotline. And some of the stories we hear on that are, are incredibly horrific. And increasingly, I think we're seeing a lot of Tenants Together calls coming in from places like the Central Valley, which I think I've been doing some research on that. And I think it's interesting to note how much as people are being displaced out of the Bay Area, how many of those Central Valley cities are actually really high percentage renter yeah, uh, and with no protections at all. So that is an increasing issue that I think we need to pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, I think I, a lot of the tenant stuff, like I, I, I think it's well known, Sacramento, it, like I think is very late to the game and doing something. We've gotten like AB 1482 a few years ago, but historically has done nothing for yeah, tenant nothing. protections. And most of the fights have been fought at very local levels using kind of classic urban organizing. So it's really only the classic old cities, the like the LAs and the SFs, that you know yeah. that really get their people protected. And yeah, it's it's uh, places everything from uh, like the horrible suburbs of the peninsula to the Central Valley. Like yeah, a lot of places left behind. Or even like in Orange County, even urban areas there, like Santa Ana, I know there's a campaign going on for rent control there that is facing a really uphill climb, uh, you know, doing some great organizing work, that it's it's really kind of a tough place to be for them. Like just the politics of that place, same with like the Central Valley or and like our, you know, dressed up, disguised right wing politics of the suburbs and, you know, the peninsula and the South Bay. It's yeah, just cool. a tough environment to do this kind of work. We need a different name for places like the Peninsula and like OC and stuff. Like they are cities. They are cities. Yeah. Not actually suburbs. In fact, SF, if anything, is a suburb of the Peninsula. But, yeah. but like it's like it's not like it's easy to call them the suburbs. They have a suburban form, but they're economically and structurally cities. And like, yeah, I think it's. I guess maybe what would be called is de-urbanized parts of the bay area metro area <laughs> yeah that, i guess that does a trick and this is like one thing i, I remember angie evans saying a while ago it's like you could fill bookshelves full of tactics on how to organize political campaigns and other kind of you know just uh, direct action within cities but there is like almost nothing ever written about organizing within a suburban form and it's tough yeah and actually that's i think some another interesting project that uh hlc Kind of, I got to participate in one of their trainings as an intern, but uh, unfortunately, I will be missing a lot of them. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I'll be missing them, but fortunately, I will be in college. Sure. But there's these uh, a new project called a Regional Suburban Organizing Project. It's funded by you know, the do-gooders of Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Uh, say what you will okay, about so them. A little bit of uh, skepticism there, but I like the name. The, the kind of actors in it are like urban habitat and then you know hlc then also working partnerships which is like labor's advocacy equity nonprofit in santa clara county uh and then some of the kind of east bay organizations whether it's ebho so east bay housing organizations and then monument impact which does kind of some more like direct tenant work in uh in the vallejo and concord area yeah so those are kind of some of these organizations participating in this and it's always puzzled me that's like you know funded by chan zuckerberg initiative and you have you know people at like sacred heart and working partnerships who are you know in their own in like in their staff time will plan like 
you know, direct actions and like court blockades that was put on by Sacred Heart, which I find yeah. that always very intriguing. It's, I mean, that's the whole thing about the charity system. It's like, yeah, the money goes out, people get them, there is some independence and then also some direct dependence. And, it's, you know, it's bizarre. It's a flawed system, but I think also like people we are fighting against, like the landlord industry, like the apartment association, realtors association, have so much money that basically anyone fighting on tenant issues is like scrambling for anything they can get. And personally, I'd rat like I really hate the fact that we're taking CZI money in this world work. Sure. I'd rather it be CZI money than like, you know, AIDS Healthcare Foundation money. It's. I mean, everything comes with its own baggage. Yeah. I mean, I try. I try to. I've never taken a penny uh, except for uh, work that you've seen. I, I held a boom mic once during one filming thing. I got like fifty bucks for that for doing a day's work for the boom mic. But like, I, I, uh, you know, it's money corrupts. You know, money corrupts. And it like, does. But, yeah. but also trying to be uh, above it all and above the fray, like it's also limiting. You know, it's it's tough. There's and no answer. And it's also here. like a, something of. You know, when you hire staff as organizers, right, like they should also be able to, you know, have enough to pay their rent or feed their kids and stuff and pay off their student loans, which is it's always a tough place that we're in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's it's a it's a impossible problem. Sure. I mean, it would be, I mean, in a perfect world, I think uh, everybody would just have their needs met through external means, you know? Yeah. We'd we'd have a society that, like, actually functions and takes care of people, right? Yeah. I mean, a world without mandatory participation in labor markets would be one, I think, in which a volunteer court would be much better regimented and, you know, would actually be able to fight the good fight a lot better. Oh, yeah. And we're not quite there yet. We'd be better at taking care of each other. Yeah. Well, so so what's what's the mission statement of this of the suburban action whatever? I I don't quite know. I think the general like genesis of it in general is that fighting for this kind of equity work has been so focused on these urban core areas that there just isn't really a playbook for how to do it in the suburbs. Of course there are examples of, you know, winning uh whether it's the minimum wage campaigns that happened all through the you know late 2010s, whether it's rent control in Mountain View. I think one of the big discussions we had in that training was uh, what the hell is the suburbs? Sure. Which was a very long discussion to which there was no answer. Like, you know, is East Palo Alto the suburbs? Demographically, it does not match with its neighbors. But... I think a lot of people say when when a place feels like when a place is placeless, when a place just feels like you're going nowhere, that's the suburbs. But like, is that yeah? When like the boundaries between these cities have no meaning, that's the suburbs, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's... I mean, there's, I was... like there is no meaning to like the San Antonio route road boundary between Mountain View and Pell. Actually, that you can see a little bit of a boundary because one side of it is like very exclusionary dry and boring and one side of it is like you know has actual you know buildings for normal people to live in <laughs> sure i mean sometimes you see a very <laughs> but, explicit yeah. history east palto and palo alto and the racial segregation and sometimes uh it's you know a kind of more baffling you know gradations of of just weird little cities that form railroad depots back in the 1910s you know so it's just all yeah like, i mean that's basically the story of the whole peninsula right like yeah so you know what the hell is the difference between Burlingame and San Mateo? Like uh, Burlingame's getting a, a Top Golf. That's the big difference. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. 
that's that's the only difference uh but uh, so i mean so there's so, some of the money is flowing into the you know uh, but like like who's like whose baby is this is there, is there a guru in charge i actually don't know and i mean full disclosure i've been to one of these trainings like i've not sure. been involved in any of the planning process or anything i just think it's really interesting that we're just doing this kind of this model of of this this like training program for organizing in the suburbs and organizing specifically organizing is in like engaging working class people to fight for working class issues in the suburbs it's fat I, I, I need to know more uh, I mean I, to me there's like two like there's many models but at least two models of looking at how this all works there's a materialist model where you'd say these nonprofits emulate the bourgeois you know interests of, of their of their funders and the other one would be like which I subscribe to also is uh, uh, like the guru model, which is a lot of these orgs just really do have opinionated weirdos who rise and fall and kind of their pet peeves kind of do dictate what people pursue and don't. I mean, I think there's also a model of like constituency, like who are the people that these groups are engaging? I, ideally, that's the good model. I'm, I'm looking yeah. at the cynical models. <laughs> I mean, cynical models as, as well. I mean, I think... For some of these groups, you look at working partnerships, for example, they are they they have an anchor in labor. Yeah. Uh, they are labor's nonprofit. Sure. Which which gives has, them, has I think, a, a lot more leeway. It's a very clear material interest, which is yeah. hey, we're labor, we want our cut. And like, okay, that's that makes sense, as opposed to kind of like do gooder organizations writ large, the material incentives get a bit goofier. Yeah. Uh, and I think working partnerships also has the kind of air of like because they are labor they they are the labor folks advocating for issues that affect you know labor's members but that labor unions directly don't advocate for because they're too busy doing contract negotiations and like day-to-day sure. -day stuff uh <laughs> i don't know too much about them though i haven't worked for them you know but for hlc like i think one of our struggles that we've had is that the core constituents of people who at least we can engage usually who when we've tried to engage people tends to be securely housed generally whiter people which that's like this perennial problem right of you know you want to engage and organize the people who are most affected by the issues you're handling but also like you know, who are the people who actually have the time to show up to a public meeting and yeah. comment and, and, or especially like when we have, you know, the BS process of like planning commission and whatnot, like, or who have the time to go to a, a housing element advocacy meeting that we've, we've set up in all these different cities. Like who has the time to go to those? It's like retired white people. Yeah. And I mean, on top of it, too, you can also look at like just some of the structural issues. I mean, I, I was heavily involved with the early stages of the Sunnyvale uh, Tenants uh, Union. And one of the major problems there is uh, like I think essentially all of the leadership ended up moving partly like I was evicted. People got evicted. People moved yeah. around town. And like that's the thing, too. Like if you're if your constituency for tenant issues are vulnerable people, sometimes they get quashed and they leave the area that you're actually trying to base build from. And that's... Yeah, no, that's always been, I think, a perennial issue in tenant organizing. Uh, that's like, just always this constant like churn of, of who can you actually engage. Uh, yeah. One last anecdote on the money thing that I just think is, is hilarious. 
Uh, so there's this conference put on by Housing California uh, every year that I, I had the, the ability to attend uh, as part of my, my work at HLC. Uh, Housing California is this kind of advocacy consortium of nonprofit developers, tenant groups, and just basically anyone who's involved in this ecosystem of developing subsidized affordable housing, which around here we have to do through low-income housing tax credit, which is a stupidly annoying system, but it's what <laughs> with, we have. With a little bit meager results for what it actually delivers. But, oh, you know. totally. I mean, it's just like the band-aid on the bullet wound of defunding public housing. Yeah. But only game in town, though. It's the only game in town, right? As part of that ecosystem, there's the banks. Love the uh, banks. But the funny thing at this conference was it was, you know, sponsored by all the like different developers, by the trades, by, by I think the trades. I don't know if they actually did it, but like, yeah, the different nonprofit developers, all the different law groups, the banks, CZI, all, all the whole the whole cast. Right. But it was funny because they had multiple of these like mod like little panel discussions, including a lot on tenants rights stuff. Hmm. And there was a panel where they were talking where they had activists from LA from ACE talking mm-hmm. about how they use like direct action techniques like rent striking and you know trying to get the city to eminent domain their building so that they wouldn't get evicted like all that kind of stuff uh, and on the top it was like sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank it was it was really funny actually that is funny <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you're really cynical, I mean, you put on your real cynical hat, sometimes I would say a lot of the ultra kind of attitudes and like, what is the, what is the future of the tenants movement? It's like just seizing the buildings. And some would say like, okay, this is the best well thought out plan. And if you're really cynical, I'd say the fact that this is such a half-baked plan makes it very comforting to the people who really don't want anything to change. I, I'm, oh, totally. I, so, I mean, I'd say I don't yeah. think anyone really fears the people who just, you know, uh, you know, really feel that we're going to seize all the buildings tomorrow. Yeah. Although I think we should, you know, make no mistake that these, you know, ace folks from from L.A., like they're they're very serious about it. Like they just passed this led this campaign to pass this like really model, I think, anti-harassment ordinance like. These yeah. guys are serious. No, no, I, I like don't mean it, to criticize yeah. Ace. I just mean, I think there is something but about it, also there is, with, like... Yeah, especially, like, people on Twitter who are just, like, you know, seize the buildings and it will all be over. It's like... Yeah. Why I'm don't good, you, like, actually, luck. like, come to the ground and, like, help us do this, please? Like, we need help. Come on, guys. Sure. I mean, I, I, I invite you. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I want to be proved wrong I here. invite please. you. Come knock doors with me, please. Well, we're just seize the buildings. They just show me the receipts, you know? It'll be fun, you know? <laughs> uh, but uh, that's 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 so okay. So let's talk about all the different stuff you you mentioned earlier. The Paul Renters. Uh, this is this is a relatively new org and yeah. base building. I mean, is base building kind of where it's at, or what's what's the general? Yeah, uh, I think really like right now, getting or you know the name out of this organization with renters and trying to push for like some really basic bare bones renter protections. Uh, are you saying Paul Alto's? Uh, what was it? The uh, that like the, the having a sit down meeting between the landlord and the tenant isn't good enough for actually. Oh yeah, yeah, mandatory mediation, uh, lovely, right? Like, yeah, you know, a... it's the solution to all of our problems. Uh, we want some like you know teeth to 
want the city to give some teeth to what the state passed by passing your rental registry. Uh, yeah. I think that will really, you know, help us out in terms of uh, making sure that our state laws that are on the books actually get enforced and also help us track how bad this issue is getting. Uh, the feet dragging on the rental registry, because I feel like if there's one thing... Oh, it's been on the books for a long time. It's just not yeah, funded, right? Exactly, which is just like, how do you actually, even the places that have it, it isn't comprehensive. A lot of places like San Jose have a rental registry, but only for the rent-controlled uh, rent buildings, uh, units. Yeah. Uh, and other places, you know, have it on the books. They don't actually do it. H- honestly, we need comprehensive data on every single rental unit in all these places. Oh, but also totally. With, but also with proper privacy oversight. And I just feel everyone says, oh, we need this, we need this, we should do this. But, like, years pass and nothing happens. I'm not fully clear as to whether or not Mountain View's rent, Rental Housing Commission and their rental registry only applies to their rent control covered units. Hmm. But one thing I've noticed, at least, is since the passage of the CSFRA, the Community Stabilization and Fair Rent, act and the original measure yeah uh the the existence of that rental housing commission has i think basically enabled the enforcement of all of our other tenant protections in a way that other places don't have and i think that's a really positive side effect of rent control that often gets overlooked when we talk about rent control yeah, I mean that's a, that's that's one of the, the major. A lot of times, oh, the fight to put AB fourteen eighty two in the books. But as like when Shanti was here talking about in the past and other, like if you don't enforce it, if if it is like oh, tenants can go to court, like that effectively doesn't mean a whole lot. Oh, it means you know? nothing. I mean, like exactly, it's the entire. You need to actually give resources. Yeah. That <laughs> like it's. I mean, it's. I mean, sure, we like. Uh, it's. And the courts might as well not exist for 99% of renters, you know? Yeah, and it's a thing with, like, our, our service providers, with like CLESPA, our Legal Aid Society, or Law Foundation of Silicon Valley, they're, they're so overstretched. And they focus on the cases where they can, you know, serve the most people at once, right? Where it's, like, you know, a whole building being Ellis Act evicted or something sure. like that. Like, that's where they focus their resources because then they can, they can really clue in on you know protect like on in one case protect like a whole building full of people bang for your buck yeah yeah and i think there's also this is also the place where like some of those groups like faith in action come in or like you know those local tenant groups whether it's like you know mountain view housing justice coalition or mountain view tenants coalition where i'm involved in in mountain view mountain view housing justice where it's like uh the fact that this there is sort of like a group of activists or people who care about it in the community provides this kind of good, just kind of be there for tenants before like and advocate for them in the interim while we're, you know, getting them a lawyer or like making sure that. Yeah. They're the formal systems, the formal, you know, court systems aren't really functional, but we do kind of have a network of, you know, watch guards and guardians and, you know, networks of, oh, someone knows a guy who can help you, which is certainly better than nothing. But yeah, I mean, it's it's what we do, you know, as a community in situations where our institutions have failed us. Absolutely. Just kind of like a, a, I've always kind of dreamed of this. I mean, the fact is, okay, actually funding these organizations, it's tough to find money. Everyone, no oh, yeah. one wants to, no one wants to give money to tenant orgs. Yeah, certainly the state level. My, I, if okay, so what if you don't want to fund them? 
what you like what if you just had bounty systems every time a landlord is screwing up is doing something illegal uh you know you actually can like just claim a bounty on it and, and i mean fun- in, in my ideal world anytime a landlord violates a law they they lose their property and it like, That'd be know. a big bounty. <laughs> yeah, you know, their property becomes a a limited equity co-op owned, owned in common by the tenants in the building. I mean, it seems like there's like a there's a there's a good match here, which is there's all these slum lords doing illegal stuff, and there's a lot of people who need money. If you just say, okay, the courts will actually allow bounties, you know, it seems <laughs> seems like you're gonna find you're actually find these people out. I don't know what the history of that kind of stuff is, but it sounds like I don't know. It sounds promising to me. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Now, one thing I think that is just intriguing about about these these kind of network of tenant groups is what are the kind of between them, what are the relationships they they have with each other and with these kind of broader equity group like communities? I think that has always been something that I've been very much trying to figure out as I've kind of grown through this work. Like, are, are you talking about like, the danger of provincialism of only worrying about your own little town? Yeah, I think that versus like also you know who talks to who. Yeah, uh, and I think it's interesting that like in San Mateo County, for example, you know we talk about how San Mateo County is better off with the holy alliance between like urbanist Yimby types and you know tenant group types, uh, tenant activists and organizers, uh, versus you know of course the hellhole in San Francisco. Sure, uh, and I think you know the the way that manifests itself in real life is, you know, the fact that HLC, which is an organization, you know, my boss at HLC, Leora, is a you know board member of Yimby Action. Yeah, uh, you know, HLC is a member of the San Mateo County Anti Displacement Coalition, uh, and you know, there of course there's you know everyone doesn't always agree and everyone doesn't always think that everyone's being the most useful, but there is a very, there's a a constant like effort towards making a closer partnership with our, with these like uh, partners in faith in action and CLESPA and, you know, on all of the equity and land use stuff, especially with the arena stuff, there's, you know, collaboration with groups like Clespa and public advocates as well. Uh, yeah. In a way that I think, uh, in urban habitat as well, I think public advocates and urban habitat on the, on the arena stuff are really kind of cores of these like regional coalitions, uh, while also being a very, you know, outwardly YIMBY pro-housing organization that works with Peninsula for Everyone all the time on like every other thing. I think yeah. that puts us that that's been a really interesting place for me and it's kind of being at the like fulcrum of the holy alliance so to speak. I mean I think the holy alliance, you know, it like it's a lot like you have the old kind of, you know, just structure, the crystalline structures in place and it was very stable for many many decades. You know, you had kind of everyone agreed don't build and I think it just kind of reaches its limit in the weirdest places, which is to say the peninsula. Uh, and more or less, there's kind of a slow realignment. You get like small little crystals forming of saying like, "Hey, we actually need to grow and you know care for tenants." And I just think the old the old crystalline structure is still there. It's very firm, but like it's not. I, I think it's just getting wiped away because it like I think it just lacks uh, it lacks real any answers. I mean, I don't think that's exactly 
true in the sense that when we have, when you talk about these organizations, public advocates, public interest law project, well, and they're like, kind of the big legal authorities, this guy Mike Rawson at PILL, the Public Interest Law Project, is like the big guru guy on housing element law, for example. Sure. These guys back in like 2014, before Yimbys really came onto the scene, they they were the ones who were like hitting cities like Pleasanton and Menlo Park with lawsuits for, you know, not planning to build really subsidized affordable housing and really housing at all. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always been keep people, you know, fighting the good fight even during you know bad times. But like, yeah, but now but like there's the, actually more. The fair of a... housing thing within these equity groups has has been a thing for a while. It's just it has been much of a regional, like very targeted towards like the worst offending cities. Uh, sure. Well, so, so talk about you know just the in, in gen, like the you know general elements coming up now to match you know arena stuff. Just what are you yeah, seeing in Palo Alto and beyond as far as this goes? So I think full disclosure is I'm not I've not been too involved in the arena stuff in Palo Alto. Uh, most of my work around housing element uh, and arena stuff has been through uh, my work in HLC in San Mateo County. But when we think about the arena, the arena process is. This is the first year that we have some teeth to it. Uh, for, for the listeners who are not fully familiar, uh, ARENA is the Regional Housing Needs Allocation, uh, which is kind of a, an allotment from HCD of, ho- uh, of housing requirements. Like what are cities, the number of units at various income levels that cities are assigned to build in the next eight years yeah. As a part of, you know, as part of just planning for regionally distributing growth. I wish this was a much more binding land use. Like, I, I wish, like, you know, ABAG MTC was reformed a little bit and then had the actual power to determine land use, but they don't, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, 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 everything's evolving, but, you know, it, it is yeah. as close to uh, us as central planning to solve our issues. Uh, listen to previous episodes. Uh, Stan uh, talked about the top level, how it sets the needs, and we had Victoria Fierce on to talk yeah. about uh, kind of how it's divvied up. And uh, I mean, a place like Palo Alto, they certainly thought they had too many, and they've been fighting that. They even yeah, got a lot cut like, off. And they still fight it. Yeah, so they appealed, which Palo Alto appealed, which like okay, cool. I mean, <laughs> yeah. good luck with that. <laughs> Uh, if you actually read through the appeal, it is it is hilarious. It's uh, funny. I mean, I think what's really it's funny basically is basically just them talking about how everything is going to be remote work for all life and eternity going forward, and therefore Palo Alto doesn't need to build housing. Yeah, um, that's why that's why the real estate is just plummeting in Palo Alto. Yeah, <laughs> similar to how Los Altos tried to argue in their appeal that Los Altos is a net provider of housing to the region and does not Ooh. have any jobs in Los Altos. Yikes! Which, like, I mean, okay, cool. I mean, nice. <laughs> it's, I mean, like, in a lot of ways, it's like, okay, why not appeal? You look silly. I mean, I uh, some people are like, yo, even like, cons- like saying, okay, I think based on the law, anybody can actually sue any other city, uh, based upon like, you know, if they're not, you know, if their arena is, but you can appeal other cities. Uh, and I'm not sure that's that's happened, but like the political people were pretty scared about it. And it's like, hey, if you read, if we make a ruckus. Is this gonna like redound back to us badly? Is this gonna like blow up in our face and people get angry at us? I think everyone's already kind of angry, at Palo Alto. But we'll we'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of at the bottom. Like when you're down there, I mean, you can't go much deeper. But yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if everyone really hates it, hey, how do we go to the state level and just disincorporate it? We can do it. We have yeah, the power. let's do it. Yeah, yeah. But the the interesting thing with the housing element process now is as cities undertake this, the other thing that we can really do is now in their housing element process, they're supposed to talk about. Uh, they're supposed to at least pay lip service to, or a little bit more, to anti-displacement and affirmatively furthering fair housing and funding. The hardest part of getting any policy, I think, in a city level is getting it on the agenda in the first place. Yeah. But what this housing element process is giving us the opportunity really to do is, in addition to, of course, you know, making sure it's not all bull. By like actually, you know, ground proofing the sites and things like that. Uh, the housing element being this kind of blueprint for like how they plan to achieve their tar- their, their arena target, uh, okay. among other things. Uh, the policy piece of that is it can there can be policies that are agendized to the extent where it's like the city says by X date this will be will be talked about uh and what like that's an does, example of something that will be talked about the example is like the last time around which i think this was through their housing element process the city of san mateo passed a red tag ordinance which is like if uh an enhanced relocation assistance requirement for if a tenant is displaced because their their unit their home is declared unlivable by code enforcement Okay. It's a pretty bare minimum thing, but that was agendized through the housing element process, and that's how it got onto the table for council. Oh, interesting. I guess like the like the top level stuff is like, okay, you the arena the process is going to force you, you have to have the capacity to build enough that you're you know mandated to. So then like how does the city do it? I I suppose we're talking about making sure it isn't going to be regressive as far as displacement would be like if you go to the oldest poorest apartments and say we can build bigger apartments on top of that that's yeah. you know, a net disaster you don't want to just and that way cd is checking for affirmatively furthering fair housing as their and, cities have to prove they're affirmatively further furthering fair housing through their general plan and does that uh, mean like actually update. trying to you know basically if like ritzy neighborhoods is a neighborhood level is it like what's what is that that means you can't do what menlo park did last time which is you can't say all the affordable housing goes in Bellhaven, which is their like you know poor, largely black and brown neighborhood. Uh, sure. So it's like, like you can't it... put all the affordable housing there. Like, you can't do what like some folks in Burlingame want to do, which is just upzone the light industrial areas that are currently have like some lower income people mixed in and don't touch anything else. Like those are things you can't do. Well, I guess there's two ways to look at. It. One is if all of it ends up in already poor you know neighborhoods, that's bad. And the other question is are you letting rich neighborhoods off the hook? Because those are connected, yeah. but they're not exactly the same thing. And is AFFH yeah. only the former, not the latter? I don't fully know, actually. And I think we'll actually have to see a lot of it of how HCD rules on these types of things and what they accept and what they don't and uh, how these things move through the courts as well. But kind of back to the policy piece, really the HLC strategy on this has been to kind of recruit like a crop of activists in every single city to kind of be our 
be the folks on the ground ready to advocate around housing element uh, issues. And kind of recruiting, meaning like some from existing community groups, especially like the One San Mateo or One Redwood City or that network of different groups. But, or Pacifica Housing for All is another example. Uh, But then also just from various other people uh, from these kind of, you know, communities of housers, Peninsula for Everyone or whatnot, who are interested in this work and letting them kind of with guidance from HLC staff set the agenda on what they'd like to push for in their city uh, and working to try to make sure that gets included in the housing element. Uh, And especially for anti-displacement issues uh, yeah, and for funding measures as well. Especially for the places which are, I think, you know, it's an organization. Let's say you're mostly just worried about tenant uh, stability and like it's like in a lot of times people are like we're having trouble getting lights on. We don't put a whole lot of energy into production even. But if you are asked to help saying, hey, your city, no matter what, has to zone for this much housing. It's just a question. Where does it go? That's like a very explicit fight saying, hey, don't put it just in the poor neighborhoods. Let's yeah. actually push for the known concrete number of housing to go elsewhere in the richer neighborhoods and like that's fantastic honestly like it seems yeah like that's, that's a, a that's... really big i think like it, it is a forcing point like it's a it's a kind of forcing factor that forces us to be paid attention to i think the other flip side of that is also like you know the fact that we're discussing policies to affirmatively further fair housing in this is like this is your chance to push to like get you know, that, that affordable housing funding measure or that anti-displacement strategy uh, policy onto the agenda, uh, or at least, like, make it a factor in the first place. Yeah, that's that's fast. I Yeah, I mean, so talk about, like, the timeline as far as, like, how these are all, like, what, in Paul in particular, what you're seeing elsewhere as far as, like, you know, I, I, I'm not exactly following the, the, how, how this is growing uh, closely either. Yeah, so I think, I mean, we're still very early on. I think HLC jumped on the organizing for this really, really early. Uh, it'll mostly be, I think, over the course of 2022 uh, that really this this happens. Yeah. Uh, right now, I mean, of course, we, we haven't even heard the Reno appeals yet, which I am very excited for. I think, like, I'm not going to be involved in much back here from, you know, uh, we're focusing on, you know, doing college and stuff in dc but i will definitely come back to comment on those reno appeals from palo alto just to be like ah this is all so stupid wait is is paul going to retain remote uh comment i don't know if palo alto will uh my hope is abag mtc will because that's where i want to just like roast palo alto at (laughs) yeah that's a big thing like i I know a lot of the regional stuff like vta the other week was talking about like making sure they preserve uh, remote it's because, one of like, these big issues we're dealing with right now i think yeah but i think they want to because they realize oh it's a big region the entire santa clara county transit but like mtc is kind of an a bag like we're kind of like the odd person out which is it's the biggest region but like they aren't really even being that amenable as far as i hear which is like okay i've heard their lawyers were being weird about it but i've heard but like also you know the people who kind of run the show there they are all people uh you know, Libby Schaff, Jesse Aragon, like they're all people who are very in favor of remote public comment, at least to my knowledge. Hmm. So I think it's something with their lawyers being weird, but 
I don't see what the issue because like the thing is the thing that makes it difficult is based on the Brown Act, you physically have to have the people themselves be there. But as far as the public commenting, I don't see, I don't think there's any issue. Again, I'm not a lawyer. And I'm yeah, I don't really know. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not a lawyer either. So, but I think <laughs> it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this how this works. Yeah, I'm I definitely have a law degree. I'm 18 years old, right? But yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. It'll be, uh, interesting to see how it works out. I really hope they can keep remote public uh, remote public comment because you know nobody wants to go to that like weird ass office in San Francisco. Ever. Oh yeah, I know. Like in the before <laughs> times, people like, okay, I'm going to speak at MTC. Time to wake up at 5 a.m. and get there in time. It's like it's a nightmare. Yeah, and like I also want to be able to like just make snarky comments from DC about this, like just on a yeah, personal it's... note. So. <laughs> Uh, the public needs it uh but okay so like so right now like hlc is finding different like you know champions quote-unquote as it were to like support the 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 process in every city is that still going on yeah and in some cities it's working better than others like you know we're a very active group in menlo park for example Uh, interesting uh, in other cities it's less so but i think it's that's really what we're trying to do and that's also a measure kind of a matter of base building as well we're using this as an opportunity to really uh kind of try to find pro housing leaders to like build up or i say we but hlc is because i no longer work there uh, this is this is whole campaign have a snappy name because i feel like if, if you have the snappy name of, of building up the local you know arena fighters so i think that's then then it's gonna really take off. i don't know i mean I don't. I don't think it's been given a, a name quite yet. Yeah. The one other thing, though, about the arena stuff that I have found absolutely intriguing is there's the kind of different coalitions working around it. Whether it's there's this kind of one group that's like the equity groups working on it, and then like a Yimby coalition, the Yimby campaign for fair housing elements, and there's a couple of points of overlap. But yeah. it's it's interesting to you know, see who ended up where. Like for example, Greenbelt Alliance, which is you know considered a, a Yimby group. I love their work actually. They're yeah. they're in both. Okay, cool. And I don't think they've historically been considered an equity group. They're like an environmental. Yimby yeah, they're group. like like an anti sprawl but also pro infill group, which is fantastic. yeah. I love their yeah. stuff. But... I don't know how you're anti sprawl and not pro infill, but unfortunately we have a lot of those but yeah. yeah and and we also have some annoying people who are pro sprawl and pro infill and still call themselves some environmentalists it's very gross but yes, oh, those they're... people those people are bizarre yeah i i for the first time just uh just last month i was taking a bus in uh and this is like at covid i guess we're over in some degree because uh we're passing by the gap going to tracy and boy just bumper to bumper for you know dozens and dozens of miles across oh, the pass God, yeah no, it's, it's like and that's horrible. their daily commute you know in the afternoon it's, it's horrific just, and that's a problem we should probably not have this in our world but you know yeah uh, no that's like an environmental disaster and just like a, a human tragedy yeah and it's just like you just see it like one way bus going in just empty highway and then people commuting in the way out you know just bumper to bumper for you know an entire you know entire region uh it's 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 gross but uh 
Yeah, so you're talking about the equity group. I mean, not all equity groups are built the same. Are you saying there's different, they're better, some are worse? I mean, the, I think, like, the main groups in this are public advocates. Uh, then EBHO is also in there being, and they're not quite, like, because they're also specifically very housing-focused. Uh, sure. And actually, they're, I find them intriguing. Uh, Jeff Levin from EBHO is a very smart guy and very interesting to talk to. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, public advocates and also urban habitat and kind of that network of groups uh even choo-choo's actually been in some of these conversations not surprising uh no but these these groups are pushing for higher arena in the you know in the quote-unquote suburbs they're pushing for making sure that the appeals all get struck down it's interesting i mean i'll say this it's like if this really if this has really solved it, as it were, in that even the groups which are previously pro-stasis are like, okay, you give them a dichotomy and they pick the right one. Okay, you know, if this if this fixes a lot of the politics, you know, that's a huge win. Yeah, I mean, give, they've been given the dichotomy, and I think the ones that have engaged have engaged right. Like, I don't think we've had any of these, like, vaguely, vaguely lefty groups. I mean, some of them did argue for lower arena numbers for San Francisco. Choo uh, Choo did, Urban Habitat did, I think a bit. I'm, I'm well know. aware that's really gross, but okay. It was it was bizarre, but yeah, that was its whole thing. But like when it comes to you know all of the Rena appeals from all the bougie cities, like these people are all very intent on making sure they go absolutely nowhere. Sure, I, I mean if if we see Western Center. You know, actually, you know, do the right thing for once. I'll, I'll, I don't know if like, I, I feel I have to like publicly crow on this or something because that. I mean, Western Center is is down in SoCal mostly, right? So I don't. Sure, I don't part know of the reason they're so to. bad. Oh God, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. That's that's funny. Well, okay, so, uh, but, but talk, talk more about like the kind of day to day. I'm jumping around a bit, but uh, the base building in the Paul to Renters. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's get back to here. So I mean, in Paul to Renters Association. It's a lot of just, you know, traditional organizing models of just knocking on doors, right? And, you know, talking to people about their concerns, hosting meetings, bringing people together for those. Uh, is, is, it, is it really like, are you are you starting from just having a bunch of walk walk sheets and, and of apartments? Yeah, and... that is that is really where it's at right now, I think. Like, yeah. Uh, and we're being targeted about it. Like, I think the highest need groups of renters uh, renters and also other non-landowning homeowners. Sure. So, yeah. like, whether it's, you know, Buena Vista Mobile Home Park, various renter communities, uh, especially renters who've been facing, especially buildings where we've, you know, had people come to us with complaints of harassment and issues yeah. like that. Uh, a huge number of those are people in below market rate units. Yeah. Uh, so kind of that group, group. then also uh, I think that's really where we're at right now in terms of the base building. Uh, there's a couple of buildings we've identified, I think, that are specifically, you know, of interest. And it's really kind of about just that really back to basics organizing model of like trying to build relationships with people, between people, trying to find people who can uh, you know, organize their neighbors and just you know build some ground up organizing model like that. 
So what's what's it ask? Usually there's a good like call to action if you are canvassing someone's door. Yeah. Uh, and like what what like what is what is the mobile like? Is it to join? What's I think the main thing right now has been you know come to our next meeting. Okay. And you know we'll we'll talk about the eviction moratorium and we'll just talk about you know what issues are you facing there. Is is this something that people can see online? Even the the meeting? Yeah, yeah. I think let me get the link for it. Sure. Well, feel free to plug that uh, in the show. Oh you know, yeah. Information. Yeah. You just pull it up. Well, and so what's the response? Do people feel like, hey, you know, this seems legit and and good, and this is something that I can put a little bit of time into, or are people like, well, what, what's your what's what's the what's the temperature you're seeing? No, we've gotten a lot of really good traction from from neighbors. Like I think. Uh, the people we've we've talked to, a lot of them are really genuinely excited that there's finally some sort of organization, you know, there for them. And we've also kind of been able to help some people out in terms of really bad landlord situations. And that has, I think, been a really big, important part of our work. Uh, like, like, like dealing with harassment? Yeah, like dealing with harassment or like landlords who are kind of playing fast and loose with the laws, uh, making sure that the tenants kind of know their rights and are working out and can strategize on what to do. Uh, yeah. Kind of de outsourcing some of the work that the tenants together folks do in a way. Sure. I mean, like a decentralized org, you know, trying to actually make sure that like all the different, you know, tendrils are helping you know it's like yeah we're all over capacity but like that's really cool yeah and actually you guys can check it out at the website paloaltorenters.org uh, just oh, that wow. simple snappy url there you go very simple url great but yeah that's really what we're i think kind of really in rudimentary organizing stages but i mean that is how we build these types of organizations up i think right like these back, back to basics just talking to people is kind of the root of this work. Uh, and that was true in places like Mountain View, and that resulted in moving mountains and winning rent control. So, Yeah, and I think Mountain View shows that, like, yeah, it's like the rent control win really was a pillar that a lot of stuff has been built on, I think, continues yeah. in a good direction. So uh, I think at different levels, uh, I mean, I think every year these fights are going to be I, I think they're moving in the right direction. Um, oh, yeah. People are really waking up, I think, to them. And in terms of kind of when we think of like theory of power, theory of change, right? Like, I think most of the people doing this are not people who believe that, you know, you've passed rent control and you've won. A lot of the people doing this are, you know, genuine socialists who believe in, you know, the abolition of the, you know, capitalist ownership of housing. Uh, and stuff, at least I am. And when we think of these kind of, you know, big, big systemic mountains, which we're trying to move, uh, in many ways, this day-to-day work we're doing, especially on renter protections, even though in terms of policy, we're fighting for like the most basic, what should be crumbs. Uh, sure. In terms of kind of a broader outlook on on change, I think in many ways, this type of organizing is, is truly revolutionary because it's it's giving this kind of building this sort of power and agency among people, uh, which 
for the system to function as it does right now as this kind of machine uh the landlord machine the property machine that these people have to lack power for that you know machine to work yeah everything is working so well here because life is so dismal here you know yeah and once you you know give people agency and power uh and some sort of kind of support amongst each other outside of these structures uh, and, you know, in opposition to these structures, that is when you start to really chip away at this ever so slowly, but chip away at this, like these mountains of, you know, in just unjust systems of these, like, you know, deeply racialized uh, racist classes, capitalist system. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really big question, which is just, I mean, I don't think it's too helpful to go to the million-mile view. Uh, but yeah, I mean, absolutely, having rent stabilization within the private system of landlording is not really the win. I think, I don't, and I don't think yeah. it's good, it's not good to kind of like say like, oh, you want rent control? We need more than that. Of course, I mean, I think everyone knows yeah. that. I mean, I mean everyone think, fighting for this knows that. Yeah, <laughs> pretty but much. I, th- I think in the same way, though, I think some people have said uh, in labor unions in the fifties, uh, when they started actually uh, like purging uh, the hard red, you know, Marxist, you know, organizers uh, during the Red Scare, it really like they were the yeast of the labor unions. Yeah. Uh, and I think in the same way, and this has never really happened, but I honestly think that radical like. Georgia's people for land socialization need to be the yeast of of tenant organizations to really because if you're not for land socialization, I don't think that you really understand the landed landless you know dichotomy. And I think we're getting there. I mean, I think it's interesting to note that like some of the most effective like like I guess you know if we if we're to think of like you know the superstars of this movement, right? Like it's you know. It's like, you know, look at like Shanti from Tenants Together. I mean, she's very openly a socialist, right? And the idea that she's somehow averse to working on day-to-day reforms is laughable. Like, that that's her job. That's what she does. It's like her, yeah. But, I mean, like, I think, I, in order they're, they're, to do this work, you have to be, like, this, like, kind of have to have this, like, outlook of, you know, this I belief that, you know, it is possible for us to do better for each other. Certainly. I mean, I not to criticize the boomers and the new left, uh, as I always do, but I think there is, you know, something of a generation of people who were radical and then they became homeowners and became very comfortable and then they just kind of clock in. And I mean, to point a finger out Choo Choo, I think that's kind of what happens. Calvin Welch and, you know, Peter Cohen are homeowners and I think they became very comfortable and that's kind of bad. And I think their their radical vision is certainly muted. The 48 Hills uh, allied, you know, t- you know, tenant movement, I think is dead in the water. So I don't know. I, I think, uh, yeah, not I mean, I think San Francisco's is a... its whole, whole other mess of, of craziness. Like, sure. But I we mean, have to learn how to, how to yeah. not fall into their traps. Some of our, I mean, some of the best nonprofit developers, like among the nonprofit developers, there's some that are, you know, horrible to their tenants, but of course, better than probably most for-profit slumlords, but some of them have <laughs> a bar. pretty bad track record, uh, and some that are are great, like really involve their tenants and are work on and kind of really strong on that sense. And I mean, some of these you know, for profit, uh, the nonprofit developers that have kind of a better reputation, they're all they're 
the ones who also make up the board of Choo Choo, like TNDC and stuff. Yeah. The Tender Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation. And I mean, the idea that they're anti-housing is ridiculous. Like they literally build it. But it, 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 it's a weird coalition and there's no. Yeah, it's very, very odd. Very bizarre. Yeah. But you got to look at the biggest gurus of them all. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, we've been talking for well over an hour. Maybe we should start to kind of you know, go on the on you know wrap things up here. Any anything you really want to make sure we touch on before we put put it into the? I mean, I think just like the bottom line of this is, I think exemplified partly by like just me being here at all is like don't count out like young people who aren't yet paying for their own housing on in terms of these issues because one like from a kind of moral standpoint, we care about it. Like most of my peers are, you know, happy to send emails to council or, you know, show up to a council meeting every now and then on, especially for issues around homelessness, but like renter protections, housing stuff in general, I've gotten a great number of my friends to, to participate. Yeah. Uh, And I think also like for me, when I think about kind of organizing folks, my age around this, Really, what I think is a driving factor, and I haven't really tried this as a kind of thing, is is kind of a uh, a recruiting tool uh, for movement building. But I think it's we talked about this earlier. Is this idea that where are we going to live? And I, I try to put that into my public comment a lot. Yeah. Uh, whenever I comment at public meetings, especially in Palo Alto, it's like you are consigning me to either live at my parents' house or be kicked out of this community by your actions now. Tom Dubois, Eric Filsa, Fat Bird, yeah. etc. Like it's, but... it's so weird. It's, you know, it's, uh, what was it, Jupiter eating his uh, children, you know, very actions by these, like, you know, Paul to boomers. But, uh, oh, totally. You know, it's, it's but I, I, I like, I'll say this, the, you know, Gen Z kind of sees it coming. I think a lot of millennials were taken just like off guard the fact that like, yeah. in the Bay Area, they're like, wait, they're in their you know, mid twenties, late twenties, thirties, and these people are living at home and like they didn't expect this when they're in high school. I think Gen Z sees the hammer coming. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of like kind of resignedness among some folks my age that like Yeah, you know, this is how it's unfortunately gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think there we have to I mean there's a lot to do to kind of challenge that and you know, say, you know, it doesn't have to be like this. It can yeah. be better. It's fine. It's like, these are choices we have made, you know, it's, this is not some, just, it's not a, you know, a completely, you know, act of God or something, you know, this is, this is our choices, you know? Yeah. And whether it's on, on tenant issues on, on, you know, building homes for people to live in just at all levels of income, like these are all decisions we have made to go wrong and they are decisions we can collectively make to go right. And I think that's really where that's why we have to organize. Well, 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 that's a, that's a, that's an inspiring message right there. So, uh, yeah, thanks for the time uh, to be here and I'm sure, thank you so much, Mark. I'm sure even though you're heading to the Bay area for, for school, I'm sure you'll uh, stay involved in different ways. So I mean, my, my next stop is, is Topa Copa in DC. I know they have that and that is no. my, I have been told by, by certain council members and on our side around here that I am, I am to steal it from DC and bring it here. So well, that's your mission. Let, let's uh, see how we do, do what we do on that. <laughs> well, cool. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Thank you so much, Mark. Cool. We 
have been talking to Rohan Ghosh all about Palo Alto youth activism, the nonprofit world, and much, much more. You can find this episode and all previous episodes of this podcast and radio show at the website safetycat.org. This is a presentation of KZSU, Stanford.